Are you ready to go? The Kia? Welcome to Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. I'm Sabrina Ray. With me, as always, my good chummy chum chum, Don, the Bone Man Munson. Oh, man. I, I, I don't... I don't remember how Bone Man came to be, actually, and I'm not sure we need to inflict that on our audience. Oh, God. I say it all the time because I just don't, like... I don't know what else to say anymore. I've introduced you so many times. It's like I'm in a Groundhog Day situation. Maybe you don't. Where I just keep repeating the same day over and over again. Groundhog Day was a brilliant movie. It was, in my opinion. It was Ned Ned Ryerson. That was that was the best part. That was from the movie. Is that what you're saying? I'm joking. I know that's from the movie. You know where it's from. You know. You have the Groundhog Day tattoo. So you saw the demon, what was it? Demon Slayer Mugen Train? Uh, yeah, I saw Demon Slayer Mugen tra- uh, Infinite Train. Mugen Train. That's the uh, theatrical Demon Slayer movie. It takes place canonically between seasons one and the forthcoming season two, uh, which will be the... Um, entertainment district arc so this actually is from the manga and i haven't read the manga but i've heard on good authority that it's pretty much verbatim what happens in that story it's one of the more popular stories so it is strange that they sort of like excised it from season two and did a theatrical run with it but they couldn't have chosen a better time because the movie was a huge hit in japan it might even be like i I think it's like gunning for the top spot Um, I personally found the movie a mixed bag. Like I really liked the, I really liked the, the choreography and the, and the pumping like battle music. And I loved the, like, um, I loved the bits of humor. I loved how it was a continuation. I've always loved the demons in that series because they, they tend to be kind of philosophical and they pontificate and they're a little bit deep. Um, and they all have kind of these interesting little tricks to them. So they're not all just like beefy, brawny, like like um, level four powerhouses. Some of them are like thinkers. Some of them uh, set up little like mechanics that have to be resolved or the solutions have to be found. Um, but the things that I didn't really, that, ne- that were never my favorite parts of Demon Slayer, the TV series, were also problems in the movie there was way too much scream crying uh it's a very scream cry series so scream crying sorry i thought you said screen crying which ultimately no scream crying like the same thing like (laughs) that says we're like a banshee ghost or something but zenitsu the the electric the one who does the electric breathing He's actually toned down in this, and he, but he doesn't get a whole lot to do either. Um, it, it's actually Tanjiro that, that scream cries the most, I would say. Uh, and they had a couple of fun jokes based on that. I like that they kept the focus to just one of the Demon Slayer core, um, a character named Rengoku, Kyojiro Rengoku. He 
uh, is very funny. I didn't know this because I've only ever seen him in little pieces during the anime. But if you watch the movie, it becomes really obvious that he never blinks. And so his, his red fiery eyes are just always staring unblinkingly. And it has a very comedic effect. And it, there's a huge spectacular battle at the end. Just spectacular. I'm very interested to see it because I very much enjoyed the anime. Um, but I do find both of the supporting demon slayers to be um, annoying, annoying and problematic. How problematic? Um, I, you don't mean like in the sort of like woke problematic sort of sense of the word. You mean no, they just well, they drag down no, no, the. I don't. The remind me of names. Oh, uh, there's Zenitsu. Zenitsu is the, the one in yellow. Yeah. And then Inosuke is the one with the, beast with the pig head, yeah. head. Yeah, the beast head. I I find that well, perhaps just annoying is enough. But they are both <laughs> extremely annoying. It's almost like Zenitsu is always crying, and Inosuke is always yelling and punching. Uh, I would say though that Inosuke gets a chance to really shine in this uh, in this movie, even though he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily change or grow very much, but you do see uh, he does sort of become, he's integral to the movie, more so than the series, I would say. Okay. He really, this is is his spotlight. I like him the least, um, although I certainly started out liking Zenitsu the least, um, because Zenitsu is pathetic, and it's a deliberate choice on the part of the... um, directors yeah it's supposed to be a juxtaposed or it's supposed to contrast the way that he goes to this super dark place where he's super like down on himself but he is also a hundred percent serious and he kicks incredible amounts of ass and might even be the strongest of the demon slayers when he's asleep oh yeah i i mean that that transition was very exciting it made me want to see a lot more out of him because he he does seem incredibly cool. And also, he's got a lot of room to grow. He's mastered one form. Uh, yeah. And so that <laughs> that uh, raises a lot of questions about, okay, well, you know, what what does that mean longer term in terms of his ability to grow? But, but I can't stand him outside of the battle sequences. <laughs> and I can barely stand Inosuke both in and out of the battle sequences because he seems, uh, he, he, doesn't seem to learn. He doesn't seem interested in growing. His backstory was not populated enough for me to... That was one thing. Zenitsu at least started to get a bit of a backstory and you started to get a little more sympathetic to the character. Um, but there really wasn't any of that for Inosuke in the... In the yeah, I mean, his season. his story is basically that he looks like a girl, <laughs> which I'm not sure. I, that's why I thought you meant problematic in that way at first. No, that like I, I, This sort of like pretty boy that easily passes for a girl's like shoujo like super pretty face is is overcompensating that's his story he's just overcompensating for like looking so delicate and that there's not much more to his character in a lot of the series than that and you don't even know that about him at first so but yeah um nezko i like how zenitsu has sort of grown a thing for Nezko. And I like how that plays out in this movie, but it's not like, it's not paying off anything yet. It's just, there's more of it. If you like that sort of thing. And Nezko 
is unfortunately not in a lot of the movie, but the parts she is in are kind of cool. So, and yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say about it to close it out, other than the fact that, like I said, the music is really good is the music is also overwrought in a bad Japanese drama style where it's telling you how to feel on an almost constant basis. And not only that, the characters are telling you how to feel with their mouths and I hate it. (laughs) And if they would just pull the reins back just a touch, even though I know this is for fans of the manga, this is for fans of the shonen style, I want them to pull it back because if you think about it, like we've talked about, One Piece doesn't do that. Not to the level that some of these other shows do. And uh, it really undercuts the drama for me. Like, there's a hugely dramatic moment in this film that just seems to die because they will not shut up and just let us feel it. Like, I'm not, like, I just want to, like, live in the moment and feel what I feel. And I don't want them, like, talking all the time over me. I, I compared the final battle to like the difference between children's magic in Harry Potter versus adult magic. Like that moment when you first see what adult magic looks like in the movies is like, it's like, whoa, this is, this is, this is how adults fight. We've been watching a bunch of children play dress up. Now we're seeing like what the death eaters can do. And, you know, like, so (laughs) Don't worry, J.K. Rowling isn't getting any uh, residuals for a mention in this podcast. (laughs) She can still be canceled. It's fine. It's just it's an easy touchstone for everybody who grew up in the last 30 years or (laughs) has been paying attention or had kids who liked Harry Potter. Um, But that's not why we're here today. I'm glad that you brought that up, though, because that's a good topic. And I'm glad that we were able to sort of review the movie because I think it's a good movie. But I think you guys, um, I think it it really was great to see on the IMAX screen. Yeah, that sounds lovely. I, I will probably be watching it on my not inconsiderable screen here. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah, I think it, it'll be out in June, I believe, for the regular streaming services. Although they accidentally released it on PlayStation. Did they? How, Which how do you... they were not supposed to do for like two months. So, Is it still available there? No, it was a mistake. But yeah, we're here to talk about Wonder Egg Priority. So this episode, they're finally giving us some of the backstory of some of these characters they've thrown at us. And this time it's about Rika. And uh, like this episode really endeared me to her. I was already sort of team Rika because... Uh, of course I like the one that's most like me, but <laughs> by, by which you mean broken? Uh, what, what, yeah. Okay. <laughs> where are we going with this? You know, there's things that are some, there, there were similarities that we talked about last time or maybe three times ago when we, we first introduced Tarika, but mm, this episode clearly shows where sort of her trauma and a lot of her insecurity comes from the things that she's sort of making up for. Or, as I said in the Demon Slayer review, compensating for. Yeah. And chief among them, she doesn't know who her dad is. And she has held on to that idea uh, that this magical solution, like, if if she finds out who her dad is, he'll turn out to be awesome. It'll turn out that he didn't leave her. He only left his mother, her mother, and everything will be fine. But as we see, you know, 
that's not how life is. <laughs> there's there's no Pangea. There's no no Pangea. There's no solution panacea. that solves. There's no panacea. A panacea. I'm sorry. Pangea is the <laughs> the Earth before. Right. Pan- Pangea is the unified continent of all the. Yes. <laughs> when the land masses. Were I suppose all I could try to string together a metaphor that somehow worked with Pangea, but I meant to say panacea. You're correct. <laughs> Anyway, Don, tell us a little bit about uh, Rika and her backstory and, and how you sort of saw this episode. Um, so what we see here is we get a lot of more of the complexity of Rika's character. We can see that her brash, upfront, aggressive nature is belying, you know, what underneath is a very sort of sad and unpleasant tale where she's she's got an alcoholic mother who runs a bar um and mm-hmm. I, I certainly her mother is unabashed about her past or anything but as a result there's no clear idea of who rika's father might be i love the fact that rika on was it her 11th birthday that she asks for like who her father is like she promises that she makes a promise with her mother that her mother is going to tell her who her father is and instead of telling her she gives her this like deck of cards they're like photos but they look like baseball cards kind of that are the possibilities of who her father might be because apparently yeah. she doesn't know she slept with a lot of guys that in that period of time i i guess so. and you know uh, it is what it is she was promiscuous it's fine. You know, her, yeah. her job is uh, she is in the sort of not a sleazy uh, career, but like not one that's on the up and up exactly. Well, we don't, what would you call to be it? Fair, we don't actually know what she was doing back then, right? Like, no, that's true. Now she runs a bar, but then she could have done anything. But it doesn't it appears that she has a pretty hard charging life. Um, even now, because yeah. when Rika comes down the day of her birthday, her mother is passed out on the counter. She's not in bed. Um, she's not, you know, in a state you would normally find your parent or you would hope to find a parent. I like that you brought that up because that is the beginning of the episode. And the episode is called After School at 14. And it shows these gir- it shows the, the girls getting ready. And, you know, um, I is dressing herself for school because we know from the last episode that she's decided to go back to school. Um, Momoe is curling her hair. So she's getting a little bit like more, a little bit, trying a little bit more feminine style. And uh, Rika has taken her mother's lipstick. But the part that I wanted to point out is that the, the sort of contrast between the other girls and her is, is demonstrated when Rika pours her mother's drink into an ashtray and it's like she's done it her whole life like i i just read a lot into those sort of like practiced mannerisms of hers um and you'll see her do a couple other things like that but as you said she wakes up from a stupor and clumsily like hands her a hundred dollars for her birthday and rika immediately tries to use that money to buy information about her birth dad Right. She's not giving up the ghost on that particular point. Yeah. 
And uh, and I, I wrote down this line of dialogue because I really liked it. It said, um, and I really like the dialogue between these two, actually. I find it very natural. And uh, I liked Rika's mother's character. Like, I'm not sure of her character, but the character itself has layers and it's interesting. Um, she said, do you want to see a daddy who abandoned us so badly? And And Rika, like clarifies that and she's like no he threw you away mom he didn't throw me away and i i talked about this earlier but like that's where she's coming from like she didn't have a chance to be thrown away because he's never even known her and she's never known him so maybe he would like her like and she's holding on to hope and i think that's part of her character is that she's she's holding on to this hope because it's so ill-defined and then Rika joins the other girls and now you kind of get to see the other girls may have their like difficulties or whatever, but none of, they all have mothers <laughs> and they all have, and for the most part, they have uh, like loving parents and parents who are attentive and care about them. But it's actually I and her that sort of like find a, a place to bond over their shared lack of a father yeah those those two start to to bond over that particular aspect they're both what did they were both mother single mother girls is that what they said that sounds right single mother girls and do we know what happened to ai's father she she does tell you what happened at some point but I am having trouble remembering if it's in these episodes or if it's in a later or earlier episode. Yeah, I don't rec- I don't recollect that and I feel like that seems like an important detail. Uh it it's kind of clear that there's that that we're supposed to be drawing similarities between Rika and her mother, you know, um that they're both outsized characters and you know, um, a lot of the times parents are are kind of a a, a a freaky crystal ball into who you might become. And I think that Rika sees a lot of herself in her mother and also kind of despises that in a way. Uh, at least at the beginning of the episode. Well, I, and I actually think it's back near the end of the episode where that becomes abundantly clear. But I think it's what we're doing what we're doing now in the beginning of this is establishing the challenges that Rika faces and the struggles that she has um yeah, she comes from a very imperfect true. family and she's trying to hold it together yeah and and then she gets kind of these sparks off with Nadu who does not seem to understand how to navigate female friendship <laughs> Um, we've talked about how she doesn't even seem to know how to navigate like the social sphere, but like in particular dealing with other females. And, and as I was watching this, I was like, I got you girl. I get you girl. Like I was obviously socialized as a, as a boy. So I, I missed out on a whole chunk of that. And anything that I'm doing now is sort of, it's all like an adventure. It's all, I'm I'm coming at it tooth and nail, like trying to like just survive and figure out 
how to navigate that world myself. And Neidu, I, I feel your girl. <laughs> um, I'm sure you... Do you relate to any of these characters, like in in sort of the the, the uh, issues that they're dealing with? Uh, I guess it's better. I mean, so I don't now, but I feel like in the awkward tween age that they are, mm-hmm. I definitely would have been able to relate to. One or more of them. Not not Rika. Um, my home life was very stable. Uh, and I was fairly secure in my identity. But I did not feel that I connected well with other people around me. Um, so uh, maybe... I, I guess I don't... I still don't know enough about Nehru and especially about Momoi's family life. Yeah, those know. episodes are coming. Well, we don't have too many episodes left. No, not at all. That's the problem, is that we're just digging in, and we've spent a lot of time sort of dealing with these wonder egg killers, wonder killers, and we've spent a lot of time in egg dreamland, but now we're finally seven episodes in getting the meaty character episodes, and and I thought they were very good. Um, I did find the part where uh, I talked about her dad, she says that she meets her dad once a month. So he probably has another family. Or maybe he is just separated from his wife and he gave her full custody and he has his own thing. It's not really... He's not He's not a character in the show, really. He's only a character by his absence. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I found out, I thought that it was interesting that Rika had gears. Like when I and her sort of run off together, Rika makes it clear that this is serious Rika, (laughs) that this is Rika in her serious form. Well, I mean, we, so I I was interested by that because Rika, we get to see Rika in her serious form when she's talking with her mother um, because she seems dead serious in all the interactions she has with her mother. Mostly because I feel like she'd be, I, and I'm wondering why that is like, you know, this other joking persona is the facade, the shield um, that she uses at the outside world. Uh, yeah. She's not that with her mother, but I'm guessing that's because she wants things that her mother is putting no effort into giving her, even though she's her most authentic self there. Now, but but again, at the same time, she's not like open and giving. She's resentful and angry at her mother because her mother is not giving her those things. And I think that's where we can kind of get into the, the story of the Wonder Killer this episode and the Egg Girl. The Egg Girl this episode is a doozy. Um, and I think what this storyline is meant to it's meant to signify, 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 signify. I think with this storyline, it's meant to signify and correct me if I'm wrong, but it it is a sense of, of belonging and having your story. This woman who is a cultist, I guess, um, the one with the birthmark, she seems to be searching for a story that will explain sort of, the unfortunate things in her life. And I just finished watching the leftovers, which is a very similar, which is very similar thematically to that. So I may be 
seeing something that's not entirely there. But I do feel like um, the idea of a cultist who is looking for answers, is looking for someone to explain why things didn't go the way they wanted to in their life, um, would be willing to sort of, there's a Japanese word, yudaneru, it's sort of like entrust, like entrust your fate to somebody else, you know, like just let go and let someone else dictate how you, how your existence fits into the rest of the world and the universe and the story of life. Like that's how I sort of saw it. Did you, how did you sort of see the, the, um, this week's wonder killer and egg and sort of what happens to Rika as a result of all this? So there's a couple things that go on. One, I wonder if it's a test of Rika by Aka mm. or Aka. Because I like that. They would know they seem to have great insight into the girls and their characters and strengths and weaknesses, and they appear to be grooming them for something, but we're not sure what. Uh, and there is this sort of telling comment that Aka makes to Uraka saying, I think we're, you know. Uh, we might lose one, and Uraaka seems fairly dispassionate about the whole thing, um, which is a... He seems to be the dispassionate one of the two of them. It's very it's very unclear why, well, they don't even appear to be human or humanoid. Um, they appear to be robotic, so why they would be passionate at all about anything is, is an open question. Um... Yeah, I would definitely agree that that this could be a test and that if it is a test, um, it also addresses one of the things about Rika that we've seen since the, the first time we met her, which is that she's a cutter. And it asks sort of and answers the question, like, why does Rika cut herself? And, and did you feel anything about that was well, answered in this? So this, we're, we're treading in very delicate territory here because... Absolutely. Uh, and this show has not shied away from that. Um, there's a lot of tension and stress. We, we understand how Rika's home life is really, uh, for Rika, unbearable. And uh, the experiences are really tough. Uh, and then, you know, what I thought was interesting is she was coming very close to cutting herself before she went into the dream and the battle sequence, but she didn't. Uh, and she's clearly been making an effort to avoid doing that. Yeah. And I do think that has something to do with the fact that she has built up and you've seen several instances where Rika reminds the group that they have each other and that they're friends and that they don't necessarily need the egg stuff. Um, to remain friends that doesn't have to be their connective tissue and maybe it doesn't even matter as much as they think it does at all because what she really wanted was friends and that's what she's getting out of it yeah so it seems like she has a lot to gain out of this friendship group um as much as i does uh, yeah what the others are getting out of it is well yeah, it's it's unclear to us at this point. Um, well, we know that I is definitely getting a lot out of it because she has gone back to school, and whatever trauma she was nursing or 
guilt she felt or whatever it was that was keeping her out of school, whether that was something to do with the teacher and how her feelings for that were tied up in Koito's suicide. Um, she has, with the help of her friends and through these pro- through this sort of process of exercising these wonder killers and and demons from from these from this egg world or this liminal space um she seems to be getting better and i definitely see it with her interactions with the girls but um what was the reason that she was cutting what would, what did what did she kind of cuz she almost gives up at one point rika um and she she has a turtle like each character has a sort of pet that eats um the lesser what are they called uh bystanders or haters the haters they eat the haters the so, first row they're the um not noceums but um, um yeah i was gonna call them noceums as well noceums are the little flies that like like eat you alive like and you can barely see them they're like gnats or they are gnats see no evils see no evils yes um, but the Sino evils have mutated into haters, uh, which we we discussed earlier. So that's the as a result of that, we we have the gift from Aka and Uraka, the these pets. Yeah, Tamagotchis. <laughs> <laughs> basically, basically something like that, right? And and Mannen, the name of, is of her turtle is sort of key and I'm not sure why it's an interesting development, but it sort of is supposed to mirror her relationship to her mother in a strictly like she, she had her mother has a responsibility over Rika's life as Rika has a responsibility over Manen's life. And she it it forces Rika. I would this is my this is my interpretation of it, and feel free to jump in with any kind of uh additions or uh rebuttals. But I feel like what we're supposed to be getting out of this is that Rika can see now that her mother has been taking care of her, just as in what's weird is that Manen is the one who sort of takes care of her, but it's almost like she's reminded that that it's not a it's not a one way street the relationship. I'm sorry, I'm saying this wrong. The relationship between mother and daughter is not a one way street. It is two ways. So Rika has not really given her mother a chance, and has not been protecting her mother either. Um, yeah. But she has well, been protected. Yes. Because Manan at the end reminds her of this when well, she reminds pr- her when that you, it you protects can't her. as a mother give up. Um, yeah. And, you know, you must be a good parent to your child. And so Manan, by interspersing itself between uh, the, the teacher, the, the guru, or the, the whatever the, um, the evil creature was that was going to bite her um has yeah 
shown like, hey, you know, you're meaningful to me and I, I, I want to take care of you. And she realizes she deserves to take care of herself, if only to be a good parent to Manan. Yeah. And as I was saying, my interpretation of, of sort of what Rika was looking for is that she was looking for a story that explains why she's not happy or that she her life turned out the way it did. And she gives up because it's easy. And the story that that guy says, the story is simple. And she doesn't have to be disappointed. She doesn't have to be let down um, by, by, yeah, she doesn't have to be disappointed. She doesn't have to be let down. It's like, but at every point here, as she's being sold this bullshit about cosmic whatever, um, the girls can still use the pendants that they wear that have the creatures in them. And they use them as a comms device of some kind. Yeah, I and, was very confused about that. And Rika, who calls out for her daddy in a in a in a moment of weakness, is saved by Manen and uh and she comes back alive again. And she snaps out of it and you know, she all she almost turned into a selfish piece of shit, mom. Her words, not mine. <laughs> um, and she says, men who ask women for money are all fakes. And she she does her thing. I liked that she used Manen as a weapon to like, she made it into a spinny thing. It reminded me so much of, of the way they attack at certain times during um, Sarazanmai, remember? Mm-hmm. I absolutely do. There was that time when they formed a disc and they came flying. She sort of turns into like a flying turtle attack. Um, and she explains what the cutting is. She, her words, not mine. I am weak. I use this to balance. Even if it means hurting myself, I know I'm alive. Um, and the friends are psyched to see her back. And Nadu, who, you know, she's been, she's had a little contentious relationship with her. She just says, don't die. And then we get the final scene between Rika and her mom. And her mom had made her a cake, but she hadn't eaten it. And when she goes to eat it now, like, uh, there's this great, real nice scene between them. There's this really nice scene between them where her mom says she's an old lady. And uh, she says, you'll abandon me too one day, Rika. And Rika's just like, yes, I will. But I won't do it now. And it feels like they made progress. It feels hopeful to me. I mean, I have to say that's not the world's most hopeful um, statement in response. <laughs> it's still pretty bleak. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're if you're sort of living day by day, maybe that day never comes. Maybe that day that she's talking about that she abandons her is 30 years in the future. Maybe it's when she dies, like... It's so vague and it feels like to me, this is just how I see it. Like she's actually saying like, not today. And that's all that matters. And so they can, they can sort of accept their, 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 their circumstances 
And though those circumstances may change, not today. And I don't know, that's a little hopeful. I mean, I would fucking hate it if I had that cake and the cream was all dried out. I love cream. I don't want dried out cream. But she, I think she recognizes her mother is trying in the only way her mother knows how. And so she's willing to meet her there. I mean, what do you think, though? Like, I think that, like, her mother's trying pretty hard. She works, like, all the time. She provides her with a place to live and eat. Uh, so I think we still don't know enough about her mother to know what exactly she is capable of and what she is able to do for her daughter and what she does do for her daughter. But, I mean, a 14 this is, is not a really a fractious age to begin with. There's not a lot of 14-year-old girls who are you know, uh, hand in glove or arm in arm with their mother. Like that's just, you know, it's, it's not that way. We'll be with my daughter, but yeah. Sure. Well, you, you let me know how that goes. <laughs> um, yeah. Another really great episode. I liked six and I like seven a lot. I, I thought um, that some of the, the direction and the art, the art, of this was really good. Um, we didn't actually talk that much about uh, the battle with the um, uh, with the the guru in this particular. If you'd like to say something about it, please. Well, I, the thing that I was just going to say, you know, is that this reveals that she really does struggle with depression and with a sense of you know what yeah. is the meaning of of life and existence and the whole point of the guru is to say look you don't have to struggle with this stuff you don't you don't have to find meaning where there is none you can or you can simply become part of something where there is goodness and and whatever your imagination desires and you're not stuck in the seedy reality of existence um you're instead able to transport yourself to a, a higher plane and this is obviously seductive for her um, and she's about to give in without, and it's interesting. It's really Moomin. Sorry, Moomin. Um, uh, it's it's Manan who rescues yeah. her, even though the girls are trying to rescue her, but they are not successful. Um, and I, I guess in some ways you can read between the lines and say the bonds the girls have formed are not strong enough yet. Um, and we have a Deus Ex Machina in the form of Manan. Um, who saves the day yeah i i don't know what it says about the bonds between the girls uh, it might say more about the fact that in depression you really can only save yourself when it comes down to it um i know that the turtle was sort of like it's it did save her but it also is more of a reminder of of something that she was already that she already was sort of circling around that she had lost sight of um for me i think that uh i think that i agree i definitely agree that that um that the idea of disappearing has a as a great allure and if you apply that to the rest of the show that we've seen so far uh, it is it 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 does definitely hit on that whole like these these other girls committed suicide thing because 
there was a better alternative. And that's, that's sort of the lie that we've told ourselves as we've seen these girls. And it's the lie that we've revealed time and again as they've gotten to the heart of the matter with each of the eggs that this wasn't the best alternative, that there was always something better, that being alive is just better in general, and that there's mostly regret on the other side of that. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, Me too. I think that's it for this week. Let's, uh, have you, did this endear you to Rika a little bit more? Welcome to the best idea of a podcast of all time. This is Champs in the Making, where we have made a bracket of every Pokemon that has ever existed and are putting them up in battles head to head. One on ones to scientifically find out the best Pokemon. Every two weeks, we gather up an assortment of hosts from the Orange Groves and cut a bloody path through the Pokedex. Come listen to me defend the rights of crustacean-based Pokemon. Olga is a perfect little baby, and I will not stand for anything else. Deciduize the best fucking Pokemon because he looks like Robin Hood. Shout some about why your favorite Pokemon is the best. Put them forward and insult Ambipom every two weeks, only on the Orange Groves. Uh, Puchina is the best, and my friends already knocked Mightyena out, which I'm sad about. So now we're truly just living on the edge.